Welcome to the HVMN Podcast. What we do with our bodies today becomes the foundation of who we are tomorrow. This is Health via Modern Nutrition. Hey everyone, this is the HVMN Podcast, and this is Jeff Wu. I'm joined by my colleague today, Dr. Lat Mansour, and we're going to be exploring something that's on all of our minds today, and that is obviously surviving and thriving under the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, we're in our makeshift studio right now. And as you can see for the folks on video, we're absolutely socially distanced or physically distanced. I'm perhaps 15 feet away from LAT and we have good air ventilation in our makeshift studio. So doing our best precautions to stay safe personally, but also provide good content information. And speaking of information, Obviously, as longtime listeners to the podcast, we care a lot about metabolic health. We talk a lot about intermittent fasting. We talk a lot about health, nutrition, lifestyle, all of that good stuff. And frequently asked question is, how do these lifestyle interventions or tactics apply to the current crisis today? We have to be super upfront, which is that no one has actually studied any of this directly and how it impacts COVID-19. Right. So what I mean by that is no one has studied intermittent fasting directly with COVID. No one has exactly studied a ketogenic diet with COVID. But does that not mean that there can't be some interesting discussions based on existing literature? Uh, that will be the topic today that will unpack uh, and hopefully elucidate and let people look at the raw literature and make up their own decisions here. Uh, so as a caveat, uh, I'm not a medical doctor, neither is Lat Mansour, his PhD, his DPhil is in metabolism, physiology, all of that good stuff. So I would say that we could make reasoned discussion from the science, from the literature. Uh, we're not doing firsthand research, but what we can do is uh, unpack the literature and have a reasoned personal discussion around our thoughts of how this might apply to our personal lives. So how about that? Yeah, um, I agree. So we are just here, you know, doing your homework for you, trying to give you as much information as possible um, that what we can find with the existing literature and providing you what we think is reasonable um, to be applied to these sort of um, changes in our lives right now. Yeah, or at least I wouldn't even necessarily recommend or what we sh one should or should not do. I would say something to consider. Yeah. I think that is a better, would be a better way to phrase it. And, 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 and. and it's a neutral information. So what you do with it, it's up to you kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So let's go into the most frequently asked question. Yeah. Intermittent fasting. Should I stop? Should I start? What should I do with my fasting routine under the context of uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus hanging out in the world today? Stepping behind regardless of fasting or COVID, I think there's a, just a broad question around what is healthful eating patterns in general, mm -hmm. right? So again, we're not, I don't want to like being like outside of specificity, there is a changing science, changing understanding of what is even a good default. Mm -hmm. So maybe it might be just helpful to just frame my personal perspective on what is even a good diet. Mm -hmm. And then we can go specifically in what literature might be relevant to specific diseases that are, are happening today. And maybe I'll get a reflection on my framework or my thinking there. Okay. So 
I like to start really, really structured. So even a step backwards, how do you even think about diets? And you've probably heard in previous discussions, previous podcasts, we had a takedown of uh, Goop's uh, uh, fast mimicking diet where we describe this format where with every single diet, there's really three dimensions to manipulate a diet. There's uh, the amount of calories you consume, the caloric or energetic content. Uh, there's the macronutrients you can restrict. So you can talk about restricting carbohydrate, which implies kind of a ketogenic diet. And the last dimension you can manipulate is time. Mm -hmm. And that is what intermittent fasting is all about. You restrict the time that you are eating. From that standpoint, there's just more and more data showing that the standard American diet or standard Western diet of essentially, uh, especially in the modern context, which is like first thing you do when you wake up is have maybe a little snack before breakfast. And the last thing you do before bed is maybe a little bit of dessert. And uh, you're essentially eating 16, 14 hours a day. That, I would argue, is a dysfunctional eating pattern where a more restricted eating pattern should be the default. And why I say should be is because uh, if you look at a lot of uh, uh, hunter-gathering cultures, they just have just shorter windows uh, or eating windows. And again, you look at the historical record, Romans centered their uh, meals around two uh, large meals a day. Uh, different cultures in our past have just different eating patterns. It's not this three meals a day plus snacks type of a routine that we're all used to. And we can go all down in that discussion around why we're always consuming stuff. And you can talk about the insulin cycle and kind of glucose spiking and crashing, making you really, really hungry. All these growth hormones during at night and all that. Yeah. I just want to just make sure that when we talk about healthy eating or dysfunctional eating patterns, there's a good argument to say that, hey, the, the eating 16, 18 hours every single day is, is a broken pattern. And any sort of intermittent fasting is a reasonable pattern. And there was a nice paper that was recently published just a few days ago. Yeah, eight days ago. Uh, on April 15th, studying, I think one of the best, most applicable fasting studies that I've seen recently is 30 days intermittent fasting and a quite a mild fast, just a 14-hour fast, 10-hour eating window. Make it super tactical or, or approachable. It's kind of like um, having your first meal at uh, dusk. Uh, no, at dawn, first meal at dawn and then breaking fast at sunset. Yeah. So, like, again, 10 hours of eating. So, you can eat at 10 and eat at 8, at your last meal at 8, which is kind of a late window. Maybe you scoot that up to uh, uh, what's probably more reasonable, 8 a.m. to uh, 6 p.m., mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think for most people, when you think about that, like, the first thing I can – the first time I can eat is at around 6 and the last thing I got to be complete – or at 8 and the last – time I can put food in my mouth is before 6 p.m. That seems quite reasonable, quite normal, right? Yeah. So, that's what this study showed. Uh, just modeling circadian rhythm, kind of a earlier eating window and a 10-hour eating window. I'll maybe hand it over to you to talk about some of the, the, the results in terms of yeah. how the biomarkers evolve, yep. especially yep. as related to metabolic health. Yeah. So, one interesting thing about this, this paper is that the experiment is being done um, with subjects um, being fasted during the day so they will start fasting at sunrise and break their fast at sunset so this is also in conjunction one of the inclusion you mean, criteria you mean so you mean start their break their fast at sunset, sunset. 
and and eating at sunrise and eating yeah so start their fast at sunrise i mean that's pretty inverted than normal right so is yes. this like a kind of a ramadan population or yeah so so one of the inclusion criteria is for people uh it, it includes people who are already planning to fast for a month uh, for ramadan because it's, it, it is a 30-day fast um experiment and then they measure um the proteum proteomics before um, as the baseline and then after the fast and then a week after that that's super cool so i think one of the subtle points here is that usually in almost virtually every other fasting paper mm -hmm. that i've seen i mean most of them are basically tracking eating windows during the day mm -hmm. and there's a lot of studies that show a benefit for stacking the eating to a circadian rhythm exactly so that's an interesting variable that we can maybe discuss yep. but let's focus on the metabolic and proteomic markers here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where even if you're doing a very inverted mm -hmm. to circadian rhythm eating pattern, which mm -hmm. is an evening eating yep. and day fasting, yep. you're still seeing really profound results. Yeah. And, and they tied different protein interactions, you know, i.e. proteomics um, to circadian rhythm. And, and the whole goal or the whole hypothesis is that if you reset your circadian rhythm by resetting your peripheral clocks, um, which includes, you know, the liver, um, uh, your intestines and all that processing food, then in a way you're resetting the whole uh, body trying to, you know, upregulate certain proteins which are beneficial to you. Another thing I, I really like about this paper is that they focus on proteomics um, rather than the conventional biomarkers um, measurements. Because like instead of measuring triglycerides, your glucose, your insulin, um, glucagon and all that, they are measuring the interactions of more than 3,000 proteins. Mm -hmm. So you are actually looking at folds of increase like from 10 folds to hundreds of folds um, in different proteins like uh, one that I can remember is a ubiquitin ligase. Ubiquitin ligase, it marks the cancer cells for um, uh, destruction. Yep. But the protein that breaks down that protein, the protein that breaks down the ligase was downregulated after okay. you fast. Okay, yeah, no, that's no. what I meant. Yeah. Now, another point that I wanted to point out is that because it's in line with Ramadan fasting, it is not only um, food fast. No water is allowed as well. So it's dry fast. It's dry fast. Um, so I wonder how much water actually plays a role in this. I would, I would propose two, two different um changes to it to yeah. see if the results remain one is switch switch the the way around you know more of a conventional the, day more conventional yeah. fast where people eat during the day so like back to like the 8 a.m to 6 p.m correct um and second uh, include water if i mean i wouldn't i would i would assume it wouldn't change anything um because water has no calories but yeah let's be proper scientists and say like hey let's you know, a lot of people make assumptions and looks pretty stupid, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's super cool. So clearly some interesting results. Uh, if you look, if you just see the abstract there with implications to Alzheimer's and cancer, but, but yeah, what other interesting results? Yeah, let's, let's take a look here. Break it down for us. Yeah, so um, they, they looked at cancer proteome. They look at circadian clock. DNA repair and immunity as well. They found an increase of uh, proteins that are related to immune system, which is quite relevant to our conversation today with regards to COVID. Insulin signaling, obviously the whole metabolism, you know, either they, I don't think they standardize the calorie intake. So everyone will, uh, they, they were advised to resume the normal Libitum, exactly. So, so even so, you know, you can see the difference 
already in in the proteome. So so that is quite interesting. Was there a control group that was not fasting, or was just it was just a straight one? It was baseline. Yeah. Okay. One good thing about this paper is that they chose really healthy people. Anyone with acute, subacute, or chronic diseases, or even alcohol or um, recreational drug use were not included in the study that's super cool exactly which means because we all know that the benefits of intermittent fasting has been well documented right if you choose a group of diseased patients to go on intermittent fasting we know the result is going to be positive yeah but what if you're healthy what if you are young healthy you know do, do going about your day and if you have intermittent fasting as part of your life what would that do to you this paper elucidate that. So then they go quite a lot into specific details on different, now these are the results, on different proteins and what are the different folds of increase and all that. You want to zoom back up a little bit? I, I just wanted to just call out one thing. I, I thought I saw the N, uh, 13 males, one female. And one of my common critiques with a lot of these studies is that we were just always just choosing men to be studied. Um, I would love to either just do a, a caveat that this is a study on just men mm-hmm. or just women, mm-hmm. or if we're going to do a general discussion on humans, right. let's try to do 50-50, right? Let's just try to match what humans actually are. Yeah. A, l- a little gentle critique, let's, let's, let's look at the uh, more quantitative results. So one of the results related to immune function here is the ASGR2 gene. And perhaps we'll just read some of the important and quote the paper here to just give a sense of what they're talking about. Uh, This uh, ASGR2 uh, encodes for Asia log lycoprotein. Asia log lycoprotein, yeah, receptor. Which looks like it's related to immune regulation in the liver. And if you look at the results here, 40-fold increase in this gene at the end of the four weeks of intermittent fasting compared to before, which suggests enhanced hepatic clearance of apoptotic cell debris, reduced inflammation, and optimized immune function. Yep. And inefficient clearance of the apoptotic cell debris leads to chronic inflammation, um, which obviously takes a toll on the immune system as well. So basically, um, this is a way of helping your body to clear up um, whatever factors that may drive chronic inflammation. Yeah, and this is the typical story that when uh, we talk about autophagy, this is one of the mechanisms of what's driving autophagy. So this is the actual proteins and the receptors that are Maybe driving specific that clean up organ, A specific organ as well. Yep. Because when people throw out autophagy out there, yep. the, it, it's a very blanketed statement. Right. There's different organs, they clean up differently, right. different proteins are involved, um, and you know, different mechanisms were involved. Yep. But look, so I think that's like a pretty cool result here, but let's let's make sure we set up some limitations for what we can extrapolate from this. So obviously it looks like the main immune function was focused on the liver. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously with a respiratory illness like you know, a virus like SARS-CoV-2, uh, liver doesn't seem to be one of the main organs that's targeted. Uh, you imagine the lungs, the nasal cavity are some of the more vulnerable areas there so i wouldn't necessarily extrapolate hey you're necessarily improving immune function on those areas you just haven't seen that data yet Mm -hmm. but 
I mean, I, I think given what we know about intermittent fasting generally, and also this interesting result here where they study this specific protein, mm-hmm. there's no data either way for lung immune, immune function mm-hmm. or lung autophagy function. You know, that's, like I said earlier, different organs um, may behave differently when it comes to um, regulating immune system, regulating autophagy, yeah. um, dealing with infections and inflammation. Yeah. So I think a lot more can be done and I think they are being done yeah. um, to look at the, the effects of intermittent fasting, different diets, different feeding windows, you know, how the whole um, system comes together. And, and I like the fact that more multi-omics technology is being, um, employ- uh, is being deployed to uh, measure and investigate these questions that we have because uh, now we have reached a point in human nutrition and technology that we are able to map out different interactions of proteins and genes and enzymes, hormones, uh, rather than taking snapshots and looking at, at looking at conventionally that way, where it may or may not tell us the whole picture. 100%. Yeah, I think that's the cool part of uh, machine learning, data science, applied to biology, where Absolutely. you can do thousands of assays and, and, and make a picture of it. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think this probably covers what we need from this paper, but let's slice into a different lens of how we can look at COVID-19 and intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So again, no one has directly studied the link between the two, but there is a lot of interesting literature that is all maybe confounded or associated that we can maybe make some extrapolations or assumptions or at least do some hypothesis generation. How about that? We can do some hypothesis generation from. One of the interesting pieces of literature or observations that has become more popularized is this observation that folks that are obese, folks that have type 2 diabetes, die at upwards of 10 times the rate of metabolically healthy people. Lad has pulled up a paper discussing the exact uh, relationship between COVID-19 and diabetes. Again, older age diabetes and other comorbidities are reported as significant predictors of morbidity and mortality as related to COVID-19. So, how do we break this down? The most conservative perspective here is that uh, this is just a factor of age. The older you are, the more likely you have chronic diseases, the more likely you have diabetes, and therefore, the more likely you're going to die from COVID-19. Okay, so it's like a nothing burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all correlations and associations based on age. Yep. Um, my suspicion is that uh, the underlying metabolic dysfunction is not just associated with old age. And, and that's what we're seeing uh, presented with the increased mortality rates. I think, given what I've seen in terms of the data, is that there's definitely some issue with the metabolism that drives worse outcomes, worse uh, immune response uh, to uh, a bout of, of COVID-19. What does the literature say on that front in terms of glucose, insulin, uh, all that stuff that we know is associated with type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance and mm-hmm. immune function, immune response in relation to COVID? Well, one of the things that um, we know about COVID-19 and the complications that drive mortality is the cytokine storm. And another thing we know that what drives the increase in cytokine storm or the sort of release of cytokines into you know, the, the, the lungs and, and causes the cytokine storm is the upregulation of 
hexosamine um, biosynthesis pathway, which is a small part of glucose metabolism. So yeah, what is that? What is that compound? Um, hex- is- hexosamine. Yeah. So so it's basically going down glycolysis. Uh, fructose six phosphate is being um, sort of converted into. I think the end product is called UDP uh, acetyl glycose uh, glucosamine. Okay. Um, so that apparently um, that acetyl group from that that molecule is involved in acetylation of um, other factors that drive the cytokine storm. Cytokine storm. So having said that, that that molecule itself comes directly from glucose metabolism pathway. Um, the upregulation of glucose metabolism in diabetes, or the increase to, of glucose in the blood. That drives um, the increase of hexosamine biosynthesis pathway. Mm. And that may be, I'm saying maybe because the re- research is still ongoing right now, um, driving that cytokine storm which that drives leads to a the, higher... Which drives ARDS, which exactly. is the acute respiratory distress syndrome. Exactly. Which in a way, the interesting thing is that in our field, you know, with ketones and ketogenic diet, you know, even with exogenous ketones, like our ketone ester, there is an acute decrease in um, blood glucose when we take it, which is why like that could also be beneficial to cytokine storm in that way. Yeah. And I've had some interesting anecdotes with people experimenting with that use case. And hopefully we get some folks looking to properly study this. But yeah, I think... um, Definitely interesting mechanisms of here at play. Having said that, I'm not saying that everyone with diabetes may have a higher risk of it. If your diabetes is well managed, the chances are you probably won't have as high of a risk to... For that cytokine storm. Exactly. So what do you think about, is there anything implicated with insulin resistance or just having ambient high insulin levels that might contribute to a worse outcome with COVID um, or worse immune function? Is is there literature or data on that? I was reading a paper this morning um, about hexosamine actually have a intricate relationship with insulin resistance. So I think, um, I haven't read that paper thoroughly, but they basically uh, in administered glucose into the subjects and then measure the hexosamine increase and that gives an acute temporary insulin resistance on on, on these subjects so so you need this more insulin for the same yeah. insulin response okay yeah. talking about hexosamine and insulin resistance there's this paper from uh, american diabetes association um titled so hexosamines and insulin resistance saying that excess hexosamine flux actually cause insulin resistance in cells, tissues, and in vivo. Um, and it is also correlated to glucose disposal rates in normal humans and transgenic mice. So that's an interesting find, um, interesting paper to have. Maybe we will have a research roundup around this. Yeah, it's super interesting because I think insulin resistance is one of these topics that seems to be a root driver of so many chronic dis- uh, uh, chronic diseases but i think that just answers like or at least begs the broader question of okay insulin how is insulin typically implicated with the immune system and it looks like there's a nice paper here to summarize that insulin boosts the immune system but let's understand why that might be the f- case essentially insulin signaling 
revs up the response of T cells, which is an interesting suggestion here. So if you are insulin resistant, that means you need to have more and more insulin for the same response. So a normal, therefore, level of insulin secretion does not rev the T cells to the same extent for someone that's much more insulin sensitive would be the mechanism that I would describe here. So that's an interesting question, right? So more is not is does not equal to better. Yeah. So I actually saw an interesting uh, suggestion. I think that that essentially, which is that if you are insulin resistant or type two diabetic, do you just use fasting or do you consider taking that extra insulin injection? And again, I think that's a trade off now, where you might get the acute benefit of that exogenous insulin to rev up t-cell response Mm -hmm. uh at the potential you know mortgaging out getting more reliance on exogenous insulin versus something that's more like exercise right like you need to do more and more fasting to resensitize your body to insulin so i think this result actually is a pretty interesting lever here of why intermittent fasting how how you would consider it and how you would think about it in terms of uh, uh of viral infection i would say that those are probably like the two main levers to think about intermittent fasting in in this current context which is that one, what is a good normal eating pattern? And I think, again, there is good data to suggest that eating all the time is not just a, just strictly a bad pattern. So any pattern that's not that is better. And then I think there's a lot of interesting smoke around insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, uh, autophagy, uh, things around of that fact that suggest intermittent fasting could be a reasonable thing as part of a lifestyle a healthy lifestyle now let's just make it super tactical you know we talk all about the science but like how, what translate into real life yeah i've been sticking to a normal my normal routine which is an eight uh, 16 8 or 18 6 mm-hmm. so i for example this morning i did a fasted murph my 34th murph in a row and then yeah. i had uh my lunch or my breakfast which was around 12 12 30 um had uh a steak and three eggs very delicious good meal um and then i'll probably have my last meal and probably end up like stop eating by seven or eight right that's like a nice 16 8 closer to 18 6 eating window and i haven't modulated from that i feel great would I do more extended, more extreme fasts? I think that's kind of a natural follow-up question. I would be a lot more careful, a lot more thoughtful about adding that much more stress to our bodies. Again, I think the first paper, the Ramadan study, I think is a very, very good benchmark. It's quite a mild fast. I think everyone can do a 10-14 or 14-10 mm-hmm. and you're seeing beneficial results. Uh, so I think... I feel very comfortable that I'm doing a 16-8 or 18-6. I'm getting some of the immune and just general metabolic health properties from an intermittent fast. But do I feel the pressure to do a three-day fast right now or a seven-day fast? Again, there's no data suggesting good or bad here. Mm -hmm. But I am cautious that 
I know that a three-day fast or a seven-day fast especially is quite demanding, quite stressful to the body. I don't want to be shocking my system in that way right now. And that's a great advice because I'm just looking at this paper again that you just found on, on insulin and immune system. He talked more about the role of insulin in providing enough energy uh, for T-cells and immune system. And then know that if we have an infection, the energy needed is quite high for our immune system to fight off the infection. So being cautious in long fasting periods, um, it, it, it's, it's very vital uh, to make sure that our body, while we are trying to strengthening the immune system, is also essential to take note that we need that energy um, you know, from whatever substrate we're taking in to fight off potential infection and potential illnesses. 100%. In terms of practical advice that extends generally is hard to give because you don't want to be in a state of cachexia or muscle wasting. You don't want sarcopenia, right? You don't want these uh, issues where you're just starving yourself. And that is not the goal of intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, again, by the definition that we described, is a time restriction. We're not necessarily talking about calorie restriction or macro restriction. So I think that's like an important takeaway here. Uh, in terms of considering how to one could consider an intermittent fasting. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily play around with calories. I haven't. I don't count. I haven't really changed my ratio of macros. I would say I eat f like generally low carb, you know, more on the keto side. But I'm not going to turn down some, you know, some grains or noodles or vegetables every now and then. Um, but just really focus on the time side. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the paper showed, I mean, the 30-day intermittent fasting, people are on standard diet, um, they're on their normal diet. There's no calorie restriction or macro uh, modulation there. That's how it's translated for me personally. Any any translation for you personally? Um, for me, I, I, I'm pretty much the same um, because I know that I am less active um, because of the lockdown. I have been consuming less calories. Um, because I know my body doesn't need as much. So um, I have been doing sort of one heavy meal per day and then one really light meal or even just a protein shake. And that, uh, and I don't feel lethargic or, or fatigued. Um, so I, it's not affecting me like pro uh, my productivity or anything. And I basically work on, on that balance, like trying. So you're essentially it's closer to like a OMAD, one oh, meal a closer, day. Yeah. But like if you have a second meal, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm sure it's like, like an 18, 16, 8. Yeah, it is. It is. So I would normally have my first meal around noon or one o'clock and my last meal would be around 7 p.m. Yeah. Um, and then it goes on. So it's sort of like an intermittent Yeah. Fasting. So I, I mean, essentially like it doesn't like it, our, our styles haven't really changed. It's just like it's mainly and I think that's probably right, which is that our eating patterns have changed more towards our, our exercise, our energy requirements. I think that is, again, I, like, I think I just, you keep going full circle in the space of nutrition. Mm -hmm. It's really simple until it's like, wait, this is super complicated about keto, like net carbs, insulin, ketones. I need to do a CGM and measure my blood glucose all the time to going back to, okay, we have different energy demands. Yeah. And you kind of want to maintain energy homeostasis. And if you want to lose weight, then yeah, have a little bit of deficit. And things like a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet could probably improve and be helpful for maintaining energy deficit. Yep. 
And again, like we don't like there's like very valid points from the carbohydrate insulin hypothesis as well as energy in energy out sort of the thermodynamic uh, argument. I think there's very valid points to those schools of thinking or those models yeah. of human obesity, human yeah. nutrition. And that's almost very academic or very ivory tower. I think what's translatable to me in, a, in an everyday life is, yeah, when you're expending more energy, you know, maybe dial up your, you have more of an energy requirement, dial up a little bit. Uh, and your body tells you that too. Yeah, and dial you down. Yeah, just, just be in tune, right? And I think that's what I think. Being strict with intermittent fasting has reattuned myself to be attuned to my body. Mm -hmm. And now it's not even like uh, a challenge. It's just like a, a sixth sense. I kind of know what I need now. And I think I, when I heard that before, when I, when people on the podcast were like, well, I kind of just know. Yeah. It sounds like BS. Like, what are you like? Uh, yeah, what do you what mean? Are you talking yeah. about? But now kind of being on the other side, fasting for four or five years and then being a lot more, uh, done a lot more exercise. It is like that notion of you kind of feel on or off when you've exercised for the day mm -hmm. or proprioception. It's like this notion of you don't need to use your eyes to sense where your body's at. And uh, like absolutely that's a skill that can be trained, right? If you're a martial artist who very much needs to control hand-eye coordination, you probably have a much more attuned sense of where your body is and how you can move your body versus someone that just doesn't, isn't active. Mm -hmm. And these are like senses essentially. Yeah. And I would say that, yeah, just having an attuned sense for your energy demands is absolutely something. And you'd be interested to run an experiment to quantify that, right? Like I, I bet you, uh, or I would propose a hypothesis that you could do an ad limitum feeding study and with a like control group of standard Western diet people who are going to be, you know, likely either half percentage chance diabetic or pre-diabetic and 60 70 percent obese versus people that have done two three years of intermittent fasting and it'd be interesting to just sort of see at limitum feeding how much do they end up consuming mm -hmm. and i would argue that um and you can have as much delicious food as you want make it like just truly ad limitum you got in and out burgers and ice cream and pizza whatever i would venture that uh there's definitely an attuned sense in terms of, okay, what is a calorie consumption per, per those two different groups? Again, that's like a kind of a contrived study because like you kind of know when you're yeah. eating like what, what they're maybe measuring for. But again, I, I think the, the, the main point is there's definitely some sense of knowing kind of your caloric demand. Maybe to make that more interesting study, you do like exercise day on and day off and like which group is more accurate in matching energy homeostasis mm -hmm. like basically the amount of energy calories expended versus energy in and which group has a smaller delta that would be a kind of an interesting little study to run but that that is also quite complicated to standardized because um a heavier person would i assume would be harder you know on that scale to 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 have to do the same workload as if someone who's um lighter as well and there are so many different yeah well i think the end metric aspects. is interesting which yeah. is more standard which is the delta to like to how cells to yeah, baseline. given ad limitum feeding right how accurate can you get to an uh, how how can you minimize a delta between energy expended and energy in, 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 taken mm. in like it, essentially i think that's kind of a a proxy for how accurate is your intuitive mm. eating 
right? Well, like, my, my hypothesis is the unhealthy weight population would have um, would be more off. Yes, that, like, the, that's the hypothesis. Yeah, I would yeah, say that that would be my hypothesis. And I would say like maybe uh, off high and off low. Yeah, like I could see them like just really just like being so shocked that they're going to actually lose weight and it's good for them. I, I would be less interested in that outcome, but more interested in what drives that outcome. Is it habitual or is it hormonal? Yeah. Um, I think those are interesting to yeah. look at. Like teasing the mechanisms. There. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Is it the, the hormones? Is it leptin, you know, driving their hunger? Or, you know, is it some form of positive feedback loop? Or is it just because they're used to like, you know, eating that much amount and that frequently? And, you know, is that driving it yeah. psychologically, you know? Cool. Yeah. Let's maybe wrap up here on the topic of intermittent fasting and COVID. I think we were maybe planning to cover a number of topics, but I think like... We yeah, we're going to cover exercise as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe we'd have another episode on that. So anything, any other last thoughts on intermittent fasting and COVID and give our concluding thoughts here? Like, you know, maybe I'll start off with my concluding thoughts mm -hmm. and then I'll hand it over to you. Sure. Um, again, this disclaimer perspective, this is not medical advice. We're not medical practitioners. This is personal opinions of people well, well versed in science. Uh, Lat has a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics from Oxford. And we're looking at the literature and we're kind of applying our lived experiences into uh, translating healthy lifestyles, of, especially under the context of what we're living through today. Um, my takeaway here is that directionally, uh, intermittent fasting is directionally a healthier eating pattern than a standard Western diet. I would recommend kind of the, uh, the non-controversial better diet, which is eliminate, reduce, process carbohydrates, you know, cut out that soda. It's not going to be super helpful for you in general. Uh, and especially, and that might be interesting, especially in, given the, the observational studies showing that Folks with diabetes that are obese have significantly higher mortality or fatality rates to a non-obese or non-diabetic population. Again, no direct uh, uh, correlation, uh, causation, causative effect shown there, but there's very interesting associational data there. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, don't change your diet so much that it's a giant shock. Don't expect to do a three-day fast, a seven-day fast, just like you don't wouldn't expect to go from a couch potato to a marathon runner. Uh, that's too much of a shock for your system. You're going to probably injure yourself slash reduce your immune response. So don't do something drastic. But if you were to do something, generally go towards a healthier eating and lifestyle, which likely means consider tightening up your eating window, especially if you're snacking when you wake up and eating right before you go to bed. Uh, and again, get rid of processed carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that would be controversial. I think that's generally good principles for healthy living, period. Mm -hmm. uh, and something to consider uh, when everyone's health uh, and immunity is of, of special attention right now. Yeah. So that would be my 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 two cents, my personal opinion there. Curious to uh, get your kind of conclusion, takeaway thoughts. Yeah, um, I think you know intermittent fasting has been well established to be beneficial, and and in this today's conversation, uh, specifically with COVID nineteen and infections, I think 
intermittent fasting has been proven to be advantages to improve your immune system or general well-being or even reducing risk of um, diabetes and obesity that may lead to higher mortality with COVID-19. Um, having said that, that is, this is very specific to this situation right now that we're facing. Um, and depending on your goal, I mean, I'm not saying that it may be good for everyone if if you for example if you feel like you are underweight and you need to put on weight and you need that excess calories you know it may not be the best but in the general well-being sense it has been shown to have positive results but if you're working out and if you have a gym you know if you're not on lockdown you have a gym i do mvu i miss the gym and uh if you need that excess calories to build a muscle you know adjust your calories accordingly yeah um and i and and as jeff said if you are already on an intermittent fasting schedule if you already have uh, if you're already uh, leading that sort of lifestyle feel free to carry on uh, it doesn't show any sort of negative impact even in these sort of um uh, uh situation but if you are not used to it you know ease into it rather than jump straight into it and and end up shocking your body and you know bring more harm than than good i think that is the general consensus here awesome as always really a pleasure to dive into literature it's always a fun conversation and hopefully this was valuable and answer some of those faqs that our community has around intermittent fasting and our times today um if there's anything that our listeners want us to dive deeper into or answer other questions around our thoughts around lifestyle, healthy living in these times, we're very much happy to open up and, and dive into literature and unpack that for you. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're going to probably talk about is exercise. Yep. And for folks who might have been tracking me personally on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, at Jeffrey Wu, uh, I've been doing a Murph every single day. So I just did 34 Murphs in a row. Uh, and I can unpack, uh, you know, I guess why I think it's, good to stay active and not bad to stay active. I think that might be obvious. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think the thing would be very much in line with our thoughts around intermittent fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Which definitely. is don't go extreme. Yeah. Uh, don't run a hundred miles right now. Cause that's going to again, injure yourself and probably uh, decrease your immune function. But the snapshot there is, you know, a little bit of generally find and place yourself in directionally healthier lifestyles, I think is a very, very minimal nudge. If you can use this time to create lemonade out of lemons, uh, maybe use this as a time to uh, make some positive changes rather than making the times force you to make bad life and health style, uh, uh, lifestyle decisions. Yeah. And we have uh, the next round, a research roundup episode on whether or not exercise decrease or improve immune system. Awesome. So tune in for that. And I'm sure if that opens up other questions yep, that we can talk about together. Yeah, I will it'll have you on to, to discuss. So as always, uh, if you like this episode, please do share, give five stars, thumbs up, comment, engage. Uh, it's really helpful for us as it just fun for feedback and also to spread the message and hopefully people take and, and use this knowledge to, to good use here. Uh, always appreciate the support. I, I really do hope and wish that you and your family are healthy and safe as well. Let's survive and then and, and let's hopefully survive and, and thrive through the economic maelstrom as well. I just know that 
just looking at the the, the economy it's just crazy to see so yeah uh reach out if you have any questions thoughts we're, we're here uh and uh we just want people to to, to stay strong and, and, and hold up well yeah stay safe stay healthy take care guys talk to you guys soon thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the hvmn podcast if you're interested to learn more about hvmn and our offerings visit hvmn.com pod Please remember to subscribe, and if you're watching this on YouTube, please give this video a like, and remember to hit that bell to get notified whenever we post. We also have a dedicated Discord server, which you can join by first taking a short survey, and then I'll personally send you an invite to join the community there. The link to that survey will be in the description, along with any other relevant links. And we'll see you all next week.